we kicked off last week our series called Stir. Um, and if you, you missed it for whatever reason, if you were gone, if you missed last week, if you were on vacation or you were just out last week, I encourage you to go on to our website and to listen to the message. Uh, the reason why I want to encourage you in that is because um, really, truly, what we talked about last week is I, I believe the, the Lord is really beginning to stir up this congregation. I believe he's stirring us in preparation for what he is doing. I believe that he's got, there's some very specific things that are just ahead of us, and I believe I know a little bit of where God is taking us. And as part of that, I believe that in preparation for that, he's stirring us. And sometimes when that happens, it can create just a little bit of, uh, it can create a little bit of discomfort. Like we talked about the things that um, need to be stirred. We got water that needs to have new water coming in, otherwise it goes stale. And if it's never stirred, it turns stagnant. We need to have fire that you can have a ton of fuel on, but if you're not stirring it, it goes out. We have nests. If you don't stir them up, the birds can get just a little too comfortable. And so sometimes it needs to be stirred up so that there's a little bit of discomfort in order to encourage them to take that next step. And just like that, we talked about our souls. And all through scripture, we see where God stirs people up, stirs groups of people up, stirs congregations up. And I believe right now he is stirring up our own uh, spirits in preparation for what is that next step. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of that. And so to that end, I asked you to do three things for this next year to really dedicate yourself to. Number one, I asked you to pray and spend time praying for this congregation. Pray, pray for the leadership, the board, the, the, the staff. Pray for me and pray for our families. I ask you that you would spend just a year, really not just a week, a month, a day, whatever, but that you would spend time deliberately praying for the Holy Spirit to just be moving and working in this congregation. I also ask you to expect to change that anticipation or unsettling in your spirit to allow the Lord to transition that from an unsettling or an anticipation to an expectation and to begin expecting God to move in our midst in a powerful and effective way. And I believe we do see some of the, if not, no, I will say, I believe we see the most effective and powerful ministry of this church just ahead. And I believe he's stirring us up in, in, in preparation for that. And then I ask you to stir. Because there are, as much as it says in Scripture, that the vast majority of the time that it is God who is stirring our hearts or in, in preparation for something, there are also three times in Scripture where it actually says that we are supposed to be stirring. Okay? And so what we're going to do over three weeks is we're going to talk about those three occasions, those three Scriptures where it says we're supposed to be stirring something up. Okay? So grab your Bibles this morning. Um, once you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Hebrews. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you don't have it on your phone or iPad or whatever, uh, there are Bibles that are spread out all around the seats. We want everybody to be able to follow along in Scripture. It's important that we know where what we're talking about is in relation to other verses. And so if you would reach over and grab one of those Bibles, if you're on one of the front rows up in the balcony on the floor, they're probably right underneath you. So just go ahead and reach underneath and grab one of those Bibles. Once you have that Bible, if you'd open it up to Hebrews, Hebrews. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today. If you have one of the church Bibles, that is on page 1006 in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, and we're going to start reading. Actually, there's just one verse that I really want to zero in on. And that's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. 
Um, but before we zero in on that, I kind of want to, I don't know where Hebrews 10.24, where it looks like it is in your Bible. Um, for me, it's kind of buried at the end of a long paragraph. And probably your Bible is very similar. It's kind of buried towards the end of a long paragraph, starting in verse 19 all the way going down into verse 25. And there's a reason for that. Because in the original language, verse 19 all the way down to verse 25 is one sentence, okay? So most of the translations try to keep that feeling by giving it all just one paragraph altogether. So what we're about to read in verse 24 is actually at the end of what is a really long sentence, which is actually at the end of what is a really long section in Hebrews. Because all the way back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, there the writer says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to consider Jesus. And just like the word that came to us today, which was, let's talk about Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. That's what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, consider Jesus. And then, after he says, consider Jesus, he takes seven chapters and he considers Jesus. And he talks about what it means that Jesus did what he did for us and what it means for our sins, what it means for the fact that we've been washed clean because of what Jesus did. He talks about how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, how he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. It talks about all of these things about Jesus and it all leads from chapter 3 verse 1 of Hebrews to chapter 10 verse 24 of Hebrews. So it's this long sec section that's seven chapters long where he's talking about Jesus the whole time. And he says, let's go beyond just the shallow things of Jesus. He says, uh, let's go beyond the elementary things of Jesus. Let's leave the shallow pool for a while. And let's go to the deep end. Let's talk about what it means that Jesus died for our sins. Let's talk about what it means that there was a cross, and let's talk about what it means that the veil was torn. Let's talk about what all of that means for us. Let's talk about Jesus. So when he says, consider Jesus, he's not just saying, let's just look at him a little bit. He says, let's slow down and let's talk about him. Let's think about him. Let's meditate on him. Let's, let's again, leave the elementary, let's leave behind basic science and get to like the deep physics. Let's leave behind basic math and let's get to like the calculus of Jesus. Let's get to the deep stuff. And then he talks about that for seven chapters. And then he comes to the end of that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And he says, okay, now, with all of that stuff established about Jesus, what does that mean for us? And he gives us three things that that means. Starting in verse 22, here's what it says. And therefore, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean and from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he says the first thing we need to do is we need to draw near. Which makes a whole lot of sense, right? Because if God has provided a way in Jesus Christ for us to come near to, G to, to God, if, if he's done this in Jesus Christ, it makes sense then he would say, all right, let us then draw near if he's provided the path, let's not just not walk it. 
Let's come near. And if you did not hear the voice of the Spirit saying that this morning in the worship, I did. I heard him saying very clearly, boy, shame might be keeping you back. Guilt might be keeping you back. But when you come in this room, it's not about the guilt that you're feeling. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of his sacrifice, we can now draw near. But not just draw near, we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That means when our conscience is, is attacking us, or I shouldn't say that, when the enemy is using something to keep us from drawing near to God, this scripture is saying, don't do that. Do the opposite of that. And if you're struggling with it, here's what you need to do. Consider Jesus. Stop, slow down, pay attention to him. Sit at the feet of Jesus and understand his sacrifice and understand what it means that he died on the cross. And boy, if you've got that guilt, and if you've got shame, and you've got condemnation that would keep you from worshiping him, consider Jesus. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1, and read it again. <laughs> he says, let's draw near, and draw near with a true heart and with full assurance of faith. He says that, and then he continues on. He says, let's draw near, and then in verse 23, but then he says, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now again, that makes sense to me. Because we know that Jesus is rock solid for us. We know he's faithful. We don't have any question in our mind, well, will he be different today than he was yesterday? No, we know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that it's a firm foundation. We know we can throw our anchor into Jesus and it will hold us steady, right? So he says, okay, after we talked about all of this stuff with Jesus and what he's accomplished, let's draw near to him, but let's not just draw near to him. Let's hold fast. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So he says, let us draw near, let us hold fast. And boy, if, if you feel like, Everything's changing, and if you feel like it's not the same yesterday, today, and forever, let's, let's back up, back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, and let's read it again. <laughs> if you don't get it, let's consider Jesus. Let's think about him. Let's go back to Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus, and if you're missing it, let's come back to Jesus. And then it continues on in chapter 10, verse 24, and this is where I'm getting to. And it says, this is the third thing. He says, let us draw near, let us hold fast. And then in verse 24, and let us consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now this one seems a little out of place to me at first. Because you've got draw near, you've got hold fast, you've got these verbs that are like visceral. You know what I'm saying? Like you're drawing near, you're holding fast. And then it says, and then think about. Consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to, good, or to love and good works. And the first time I read this, I thought, boy, that seems out of place. But then I slowed down. 
and I looked again at the word consider. That's a deep word. And it's actually only used a few times in the Bible. The only other time that the writer of Hebrews uses the word consider is back in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, let us consider Jesus. Let us stop. Let us think about. Let us focus on. And let us meditate on. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus. Let's become students of Jesus. Let's really work on this mentally. Let's stop and pay attention to Jesus and what he has accomplished for, our, for us and what he has done and, and, and how that's affected us. And then he says, and let us also consider one another. Let us stop and pay attention let us look at, focus on, let us think about, let's go from the shallow pool to the deep end in considering and thinking about each other. In the same way that he says, okay, let's consider Jesus and then spend seven chapters actually making it happen. Now he says, and let us also consider one another. Let's become students of one another. And what I mean by that is what I mean by the fact that I'm a student of my children. I'm a student of my children. I, I'm not hoping to learn about the universe through my children. But I am interested in knowing all that I can about what makes my kids tick. There's a reason for that. Because with everything inside of me, I want to be a good dad. With everything inside of me, I want to help point my kids to Jesus Christ. With everything inside of me, I want to be a part of the process of maturing them from where they are now to where they, they will be, right? Like I have that as a burning passion inside of me. But in order to do that, I need to become a student of who they are because my kids are ridiculously different from each other. What makes Clara tick does not make Asher tick. Right? Like the buttons that work for one of them doesn't work for the other one. And so in order to figure out how to help them with this process of maturing them and growing them and helping them become more like Christ, I've got to like know my children. Right? So far I've figured out they like ice cream. <laughs> that took me seven years now, okay? I'm getting there. No, but really, ice cream works for both. But then there's a lot of differences. And the motivating factors for one of them doesn't work for the other one. They're just plain different. And we've tried to raise them very similarly. Like we've, it's, not, it's just genetics. It's such a weird thing. Same house, same family, same parents, and they're different. And so I have to learn them. And I need to know what their passions are. And I want to know what it is that they love doing. And I got to know what those buttons are. And I want to know how to help meet them where they are today. And be a part of that process of maturing them into who God wants them to be. Okay? So, but I have to become a student of them in order to make that happen. In the same way that I want to be a student of my wife. I want to know what makes my wife tick. I want to know what makes my wife ticked. <laughs> I 
But really, I want to know what it is that she loves. I want to know her passions. I want to know her needs, her wants, the things that, boy, if she thinks about it, that lights a fire in her. Why? Because I want to be a part of her life, and I want to be a part of of being a part of that process of seeing who God's going to make her into being. So I want to be a student of her, and sometimes I do better with that, and sometimes I don't. What this verse is telling us is in the same way that we stop and we pay attention to Jesus Christ and we focus on him and we think about him and we really study him and we leave the shallow pool with him and get to the deep pool with him. In the same way, we need to do that with each other. That we need to be looking around and saying, what what makes this person tick? And what is this person passionate about? And what is this person's needs? And what is it that this person considers a failure? And, and, And what is happening in their lives? And we need to see it. And we need to slow down and focus on it. The other person who uses this word consider in Scripture is Jesus. And he uses it in Matthew chapter 7 verse 3. Where he talks about how when it's so easy to see a speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye. But then he says, but if you want to see the log in your own eye, you need to consider it. You need to slow down, pay attention, and be watching for it. And here he says, let us consider one another. And let us consider one another. But he doesn't say just do it for the fun of it. He says, pay attention to those who are around you and what's happening in their lives and what God's doing in them and slow down and really be focused in on that. And here's why. Because you are, we, and let us consider how to stir up one another. How to stir up one another. This is telling us that it is our responsibility to stir up the people around us. Some of us are like, yes. I am so good at stirring people up. This is the best service ever. Preach, preacher. Like, some of us are like, on it. I'm on it. I'm going to stir some people up today. Meet me in the lobby after church. I got lots of stuff to stir you up about. Let me share another verse with you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Okay, so there's good stirring up and there's bad stirring up. Like there are things you want to stir up and there are things you do not want to stir up. We don't have a lot of birds at our house. I've mentioned that before and Some people have told me that I need to get a bird feeder out there so I can watch them. But I'm not really big on watching birds. So I don't get a bird feeder out there. So we don't get a lot of birds. What I do watch is wasps. I'm a wasp watcher. Because for whatever reason, in our house, maybe it's the woods around us, whatever it is. Maybe it's the pond. I don't know. We get lots of wasps. And I've become a student of wasps. It's something I never thought I would become a student of, but I've become a student of wasps. When I first came down to Springfield, I thought there was just one kind of wasp. I thought it was a hornet. Up in in Kenosha, Wisconsin, we got lots of hornets, the big nests. It turns out there's a whole subspecies of wasps. There was something I'd never even heard of before I came down here called the mud dauber. 
You guys know what a mud dauber is? I have no idea. Like, who knew that they make these little weird clay things on the side of your house? Mud daubers. The other thing I had no idea that there were in Springfield, Missouri, and first time somebody told me, I was going out in this field right out behind the church in shorts, and somebody said, you better be careful, you get chiggers. <laughs> and I said, oh yeah, is that like the snipe? Ah, uh, you got me before. And so I went out there, and I got the worst case of the chiggers. And so to this day, like every time my family comes down, anybody from Wisconsin, nobody knows what chiggers are in the north. And I'm like, you better watch out for chiggers. They're like, ha, 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 ha. I said, okay, you're on your own, buddy. So chiggers, no idea. Anyways, mud daubers. Mud daubers, though, we get them all the time on the side of our house. The person who lived in the house before us very kindly left us a stick. They said, anytime you get mud daubers on the side of your house, take this stick and knock them off. And I thought, uh, <laughs> that sounds like a really bad idea. But I did it. And for whatever reason, mud daubers are not as aggressive as other kinds of wasps. You can knock them down and they'll come out eventually or they'll, they'll come down, and, but they won't like go after you like aggressively. But the other kind of wasps we get at our house are called paper wasps. If you don't know what a paper wasp is, they leave these little paper-looking nests that are about that big. We'll say that big. And, and they have like a honeycomb look to them. And there's maybe like 10 or 12 kind of cells inside of there. And then from there, there's like probably four or five wasps inside the thing. And those wasps, you do not want to just hit with a stick. Okay? I learned that the hard way. Instead, what you want to do with those wasps is you want that spray that shoots 15 feet. I buy that stuff in bulk. I keep it in stock because we get lots of wasps. Just Friday, two days ago, we had been gone for a couple weeks, and so I went out and did the normal wasp thing, and, and I killed like 12 wasps just on Friday. No exaggeration. I was double fisting it. Like, I had two of the things. I was like, Ch -ch -ch -ch. no joke. It actually happened. Ask my kids. They were watching. It was awesome. But I, I'm, I'm so good with that stuff at this point that, like, I know, like, the arc of the spray 15 feet away. I got to aim there in order for it. I go, all right, the air, the wind is 13 miles an hour left to right. And at this distance, I need to keep in the curvature of the earth and the Coriolis effect. And, and I'll nail them, man. I'm good at it. But you know what I've never done? Never done it. Brought my kids out, said, hey guys, come here. Walk up to one of those wasp nests and said, get really close, guys. Take a stick and say, let's see what happens when we stir it up. <laughs> Never done that. You want to know why? Because there's certain things you shouldn't stir up. And those wasps, man, they are aggressive. If you mess with their nest, they come out with a vengeance. Like it does not take much to make one of those wasps upset with you. Here's the thing about strife. It is so easy to stir up strife. It is so easy. Like it's like strife just wants to happen. And if we wanted to stir it up, boy, if you think that you're good at stirring up stuff and it's all strife, man, you shouldn't be proud of that. You should be a politician. Because they use that like a tool. You think, I'm not joking, seriously. It is easy to stir up strife. If you want to get somebody on your side, give them a different enemy. 
Point them at somebody who's different than them. And then they're your buddy. That's why strife is such an effective tool. Because it's easy to stir up strife. But where does it come from according to Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12? That comes from hatred. Sometimes people just love drama. Someone told me once, save the drama for your mama. And that is so good. I think it's in Proverbs somewhere too. But, <laughs> but some people just want drama. And the first time it happens, you're like, boy, that was weird. And then the second time that happens, you're like, I'm starting to pick up on something. Third time it happens, you're like, I can triangulate and I know you are the drama. Right? Like you can figure that out. It doesn't take too long to get there. It was the one time I told you about before where I was uh, officiating a wedding. I've told you this before. It's one of my favorite stories. But it was early on in my ministry, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. And give a minister a chance to do like three or four weddings before they do yours. And, and I, they hadn't. And so I went to this wedding, and I'm officiating it. And I, was, I wanted people to pay attention to the vows they were making. And so I said, Hey, listen, by being here today, you're being a part of this wedding, those of you who are here witnessing. And I said, you need to come. And, and they're taking these vows. And if you hear them make a vow that they don't live up to, you need to let them know. I was young. Like, no sooner did I say man and wife. But this lady comes beelining towards me, groom's grandma. I just want to let you know, Pastor. Most people want you to stay out of their marriage, but you just let me in. Thank you so much. <laughs> yup. God bless. <laughs> Headed out the door. That lady has been like, a, I haven't seen those people again. I'm not sure. I stirred up a wasp nest. Like, it doesn't take much. Some people just want it. And strife is so easy to stir up. But there's a huge difference between what Proverbs 10, 12 is talking about and what it's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Because there it says the cause of that is hatred. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24? That we are stirring one another up to love. To love. And that is not the same as stirring a wasp nest up. A wasp nest, it wants it. Like, all you got to do is just bump it. My daughter was just walking past a, a, a wasp nest a couple, maybe three, four weeks ago. And on our, this is our porch, our deck, and it was right underneath the railing. And she bumps it. And that wasp came out and got her quick. And she's, it's a powerful motivator. I mean, like, she gets moving. Like, yeah, all right, getting inside quick. But that is a fundamental different thing than what we're talking about here. When God tells us to stir something up, the reason is, is that it's not the natural state of it. Like the entropy of it would lead us away from it. It's like when you put pasta in a pot. If you start boiling the water and you pour the pasta in, but you don't store it or stir it, what happens? As soon as it hits the hot water releases starches and those noodles stick to the bottom of the pot and stick together. If you don't stir it, what happens is it turns into this sticky, clingy mass of gunk that's burned. <laughs> it's like natural peanut butter. 
I love natural peanut butter. I don't know how I got into natural peanut butter, but I love natural peanut butter. I think it started with uh, natural, somebody gave me some natural cashew butter. And then I'm like, I want natural all kinds of butter. So I got natural cashew butter and then natural peanut butter and then, um, you know, the natural hazelnut butter. What do they call that? Nutella. (laughs) Totally natural. Hazelnut, I'm pretty sure. I actually tried Nutella for the first time last night. All right, excuse me. Peanut butter. So we go to Aldi, and they don't have natural peanut butter there, so we have to go to a different store to get our natural peanut butter because we love it, and our kids have never had that jiffy gunk, and so they've only had the good stuff, and they have no idea what the other stuff tastes like, and once they taste the other stuff, they probably won't not want the natural stuff anymore. So we just get the natural stuff, but because we go to a different store, we get three or so big things at a time so that we can... But the worst thing is, is after it's been sitting on the shelf for a while, anybody who's ever had natural peanut butter, can I get an Amen. All right, so when it sits on the shelf for a while, because it's got no, nothing in it to stabilize it, all the preservatives and the hydrogenated oils that's added to it in order to just kind of keep it stabilized, it separates, and all the peanuts and the butter goes down to the bottom, and at the top you get this oil, and so you have to open it for the first time, and you stir it, and it, oil goes all over the jar and all over the counter and all over your hands. It's the worst but it's worth it because natural peanut butter, oh, so good. But that's like the natural state of it. Like it wants to go back to being separated. And the thing with love is that if we do not put effort into it, it will not happen. The natural state of things is selfishness and pride and all about me and not about anybody else. And so unless we are stirring it up, it ain't going to happen. So he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love. But he doesn't stop there. He says to love and good works. Not just stirring one another up to the fields, but stirring one another up to love and to good works. Cannot tell you how many times over the last couple of weeks, and we had a memorial service for John Bearden a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know how many times I've since then had conversations with people that have led to the same conclusion, which is this John Bearden knew how to stir up people to love and good works. That man, he did it intentionally. Not just feeling good about people, but feeling it and then doing something about it. And that's what it says here. Stir one another up to love and good works. Good works. As soon as I read that in this verse, I thought of one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Here's what that says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, that's a good verse. 
We are his workmanship. And the word for workmanship isn't something he threw together. That's the word that's close to masterpiece, like a work of art, something that he put intentionality and purpose into and energy and focus. And the result was not junk. He made us as his masterpiece. He made us as his workmanship. But when he made us, he didn't just make us in order for us to have something to look at, right? I'm not just to look at, and as much as I might be worth that, like you look at me, you're like, I could just stare at that guy. That's not why he made us. Why did he make us? It says really clearly right here, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. He made us with a purpose. He made us with something very intentional in mind. Something that we would fulfill. And for each of us, it's different. For some of us, it's one thing that makes us passionate and have this, it's, it's what we were made for and we know it without a shadow of a doubt. And for other people, it's a fundamentally different thing. It's different things that push our buttons, but God made us with a purpose. Very intentionally. But when he does that, here's what's the, I think is just incredible about this verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's our purpose. That's why he made us. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's like, not only does he create us for this purpose, but then he goes ahead of us and tills the ground for us puts the energy in ahead of us in order that we can just come along and follow him and, and be right on purpose. It's like crafts. I hate crafts. With everything inside of me, I hate crafts. I hate Pinterest. I'm like the Pinterest fail guy. That's me, right? But my kids love crafts. And so because I love them... I do crafts with them. And while I'm taking those little pipe cleaners and twisting them together, I'm thinking, this is a supreme act of love for you children. <laughs> Jesus Christ died for my sins. I can do this. <laughs> I don't love them, the crafts, but I love my kids, and so I do them. But Liz, she loves crafts. And not only does she love crafts, but she loves, like, my kids, they want to make paper mache. And so what Liz does is she goes ahead of them and she does all the preparation. You know what I'm saying? She puts down the tarp and then she gets all the paper mache stuff ready. And so they just come along and make a paper mache thing. Or they twist the little pipe cleaners into a flower or a zebra. And mine's a snake. <laughs> but she goes ahead and she prepares the pieces in order all they have to do is come along and take the pieces and put them together. And that's what I see in this verse that God is doing for us. He's built us for a purpose, but he doesn't just throw us into the world and say, all right, now do it. He goes ahead of us and he prepares the way for us. He tills the ground for us. He gets the pieces in place that we just got to come along and do those things. I think it's a beautiful thing. But now take this verse and bring it back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
That means that in the same way that love is not a natural thing that we do, and instead it needs to be worked at, and there needs to be a stirring going on to keep us focused on love, that for whatever reason, in spite of the fact we might be made for a purpose, the most natural thing to us is to fall back to a place of entropy and just wake up every morning and whatever our circumstances dictate to us, we just kind of mumble through the day. We get off our purpose so easily in spite of the fact that God built us for it. In spite of the fact that this is why he made us and he's going ahead of us and preparing the work for us. We still miss it. And so it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, And let us then consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, to love and be on purpose, to love on purpose. So he tells us, stir up one another. And the thing that I think is most beautiful about this verse is what it doesn't say. What I think is so beautiful about this, uh, uh, where he tells us to stir this up, is what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and let us consider how to stir ourselves up to love and good works. Why do you think that is? Why, when he built this thing, did he think, when it comes to love, when it comes to purpose, I don't want them to have to stir it up themselves. I want Alan to be focused on Larry. I want Larry focused on John. And I want John focused on Nathan. I want them to be stirring each other up. And he could have said it the other way. Because what we talk about next week, it's about you stir this up in your own life. Or he could have said, hey, the pastor should be stirring this up inside of you. Because what we're going to talk about in two weeks, that's kind of the image that we have, is that the leader is stirring it up in the people. But here, he doesn't say, you stir this up in yourself. Don't have the pastor stir it up in the congregation. It's you guys stir it up in each other. Don't be focused on stirring this up in your own life. You focus on somebody else and let them focus on you. What an interesting idea. And why would he do that? Because when you look at the other things in Hebrews 10, verse 22, 23, those are things you can do at home alone. Right in your office, you can draw near to God. Like, you don't even need to leave the covers in order to hold fast to your hope, right? Like, you can just hold fast in your covers. You can be in your bed holding fast. I'm holding fast, honey. But this you cannot do at home. This you cannot do alone. This is something that is designed for us in relationship with each other. Stir one another up to love and to good works, to love on purpose. Do it in this church. But then it continues on in verse 25. It says, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say that, see the day drawing near. Most of the time I hear this verse, it's saying, you better keep coming to church. On Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. And if you miss a Sunday, then, boy, you've forsaken. Don't forsake meeting together. 
And I guess on some level, that's kind of what it's saying, but it's so much deeper than that. Meeting together is not just gathering together in a big room. Meeting together is getting together in smaller groups in such a way that you can go from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool. Right? It's getting together for coffee. It's getting together for breakfast. One-on-one. In smaller groups. Bible studies. Why? Because if we don't go from the shallow to the deep, we're not considering one another. If we don't focus and sit at the feet of and understand and grow in learning somebody else, then we'll never know what their passions are. We'll never know what the buttons are. We'll never be able to stir them up to love and to good works. Until we know what somebody's purpose is, what God built them for, we're never going to be able to help them get to it. But each and every person in this room was made for a purpose. And it's different for all of us. There's some things that are the same for all of us. But there's a whole lot of it that is different for each and every one of us. But I guarantee you, you were made for a purpose. And what this says is that your responsibility is when you look around, helping other people find that for themselves. Don't worry about yourself right now. Focus on those around you. Let them focus on you. And that's what I see in this verse when it comes to stirring. That's why it's important that you participate in smaller groups here at Praise. And community groups that are, we're going to be signing up starting next week, starting the fall and go all the way through the school year. The reason why is so that you really get to know the people you meet with. So it's not just shallow stuff, but that you go beyond that. That's why we call them community groups. We were designed to be in community. That's why it's important that you be a part of discipleship groups. You saw in the video today that there's one that's a study, and then there's a uh, one that's focused specifically on anger. The point of those is that there's a small group of people by the power of the Holy Spirit and the use of Scripture who apply these things to each other's lives. And those discipleship groups are short. They're 12, 10, 12, 13 weeks long. And they're very focused on one specific thing and growing together as a group. And that's why it's important that you're a part of Sunday schools. Because you're in Sunday schools with people that maybe you've known for decades, watched kids grown, gone to the hospital to visit them in the midst of something dark in their lives. Because it's not just a temporary thing, but it's a long, long-term thing. That's why it's important that you go beyond all of that, though, and you get together with individuals. None of those things can replace going to get coffee with somebody. None of those things can replace individual mentorship, individual to individual. None of those things. Because when it comes down to it, until we sit at the feet of each other, learn each other and what makes each other tick, we'll never get beyond the shallow end of the pool. And what I see here is that we are called to stir one another up, to love on purpose. That's what we've all been called to do. Would you stand with me today? Here's how I want to end today. And 
in this verse, it very clearly says in verse 22 that because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, that then we should draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Scripture is really very clear, really very clear that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's also really very clear that salvation is available to us and we need to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that the scriptures are true and that Jesus is who he said he was. And not only that, but we also need to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And it says very clearly that if we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. This is available to each and every one of us. He has made a way. It is our responsibility then to enter. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to end with prayer. And if you're in here and you've not accepted Jesus Christ and his forgiveness for your sins, today you can do that. And as I pray, I'm going to just confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I would encourage you to step out and confess audibly with your own that he is Lord this morning. And then I want to pray for this church. Because I'm not asking you to stir up just for a little bit. I'm asking you to take all year long and very deliberately and intentionally focus on stirring up others to love and purpose. Okay? Because God made us for it. Take stirring. So look at those around you and help them get there. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we do thank you. God, I thank you for your beautiful design. I thank you that you as a God sovereignly stir us up as a people. And we feel it inside and sometimes we don't fully know where it's going. Sometimes we don't know exactly where it's going to lead. But Lord, sometimes you're just calling us and you're drawing us and you're saying there's something more for you. And Father, today, if there are any who are in this room right now who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's not about being in church, it's not about uh, uh, being raised in church, it's just about coming to a place where we recognize that we have all sinned, we've all fallen short, and that salvation is available to us in Jesus Christ. And so God, we focus on him today. And I declare with my voice and may others in this same room do the same. I confess with my mouth, I declare with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is Lord of my life. I believe what the scriptures say about him. I believe that God raised him from the dead, that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised again. And as a result, my sins are washed clean. You wash me clean. Father, I thank you for that and I give you glory for that and I give you praise for that, oh God. Today, may some come who have not heard that before or received that before or responded to that before. And today, may that be the day of their salvation where everything changes. Father, I thank you for the fact that when you built me, you built me with a purpose. You built me with a purpose. And every person in this room right now, you built with a purpose. You didn't throw it together. Certainly not junk, it's a masterpiece. It's your, it's your workmanship, oh God. And you built them with a very specific purpose. And for some of us, we've left that purpose behind. 
For whatever reason, somewhere along the way, oh God, we, we forgot that thing which you made us for and we knew it without a shadow of a doubt. But we've kind of moved on and it's, the fire's gone out. The water's gotten stagnant. We got too comfortable, oh God. Right now, I just pray that you would begin to stir up in this congregation just a desire to be a part of those things that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Those good works that you've laid out for us to just step into. Father, may that be reawakened in our hearts. And right now, may that be the case. By the power of your spirit, begin to stir that up. And may we as a church stir that up in one another. I thank you for it. I praise you for it. And I ask this all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.